Baltra, and welcome back to the Talking Blarney Podcast. I'm Stuart McNamara, here with my co-host, Ross Crossington. Ross Crossington, I, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's, it's uh, probably one of the nicer ones you've given. Uh, Rob Cross here, as ever. Hello, Stu. <laughs> How's it going, Rob, on this fine, humid and hot day? We've had a lovely weather intermittently during the week. It's been about like high 20 degrees. I've no idea what that is in Fahrenheit for our American listeners. Um, use the metric system, uh, quite quite frankly. But uh, it's been, the humidity has been so much. Oh. It's been very difficult to sleep, particularly someone as myself who I, I have a converted attic up in the, the second story of the house and it's just so goddamn difficult yeah, to sleep I, at night. I think one bit of insight into Irish people is definitely that we'll always complain about the weather when it's crap, which it mostly is. Yep. Then... When we get a bit of good weather, there's a day or two where we're delighted, mm-hmm. and then it's too hot, and we hate it again. Yeah, it's too warm. I um, mean, 16, 17 degrees is probably our threshold, and anything beyond that, we do not like. It's just too warm, Stu. I, I don't know why Irish people like going to Santa Panza and all that, like we were saying the last time, or Taramelinos. Oh, yeah. It's just too bloody warm. Oh, there. miserable. It's clammy, <laughs> and we just hate it. But we're stuck with it now, and we're not in Rob's really... My office. Yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're not in my office because it's too warm, even with all of the windows open, but then it's too loud. So we're in, we're in our backup recording space. Which I think is probably a little better for... Echo and stuff. I think it so works out grand. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll keep going with that. So this week's Uniquely Irish, we're going to do the Irish Night Out. Ah yes, a sacred, sacred tradition which we're unable to entirely do at the moment because of the lockdown. We are going for a substantial meal and a pint later. Which so is the, the law now, we have to go for a nine euro meal to drink you, Yeah, you for need, an hour and a half. Uh, no, hour 45. Whatever it is. Yeah, we have to be off the premises ridiculous. by 11 now, it's a bit... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I understand that you know if you're out drinking with people, you can't socially distance properly after a couple of drinks. I fully understand that, but I don't see what a magical nine euro meal does to prevent you from getting COVID any more than if you were just drinking. So who knows, Rob? So I think the Irish night out starts when you're about fourteen years old in a uh, a field <laughs> with the cheapest cans of cider you could possibly get, like Linden Village Druids, uh, or or the, the you know the, the three liter plastic bottle of Devon's oh, like the kind garbage. of stuff that homeless people drink. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing against homeless people. It's just that when you're fourteen <laughs> or fifteen, you're drinking the same stuff. Like Rosie's Jim is another <laughs> one. <laughs> These are just the worst. I'd, I'd like to point out that um, I know you didn't drink for a very long time. Yeah, ne- neither of us. We kind of bucked the trend. Yeah, for I, I was a, I was a pioneer until I was like seventeen, which is like it's it's a pledge you take when you're making your confirmation. The Catholic Church is like you get like this little pin. It's like oh, I'll abstain from drinking alcohol, and there's like different levels yeah. of it. So I, I said eighteen. Like I got most of the way there. Um, Read dry shite. Right, yeah, well. I'm not <laughs> not I, that I was much better, but you know. I think it's fair to say. I didn't it, promise anyone. To I, think do it. I think it's fair to say I've made up for lost times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we both have. But yeah, so then once you're probably 17, you look old enough to be getting into pubs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh,. Because drinking a tier is 18, it's worth saying. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the times you can kind of yeah, like, get in if you're, you know, if if you have friends who are like 18, 19, mm, and especially if you're a girl <laughs> and you're dialed up to the nines, you can get in with... Uh, you people accuse this podcast of being slightly misogynistic. No, I'm just, I don't know where they're getting the idea from. Look, I'm not, I, I'm not being sexist. I'm, I'm saying that I have seen and heard yes, this from yes, people yes, where yes. girls will make sure that they have all of the, the makeup on yes, and they'll yeah. be on the shoulder Absolutely. of someone who is... 18 or 19, who yeah. the bouncers might recognise uh, we'll, and then we'll, get in. Yeah, so that that's certainly a thing. But uh, it, it it is quite a... I, I, I suppose there's kind of going for a few pints. There's having a session and then there's doing the pre-drinking and going out in college. Yeah, well, I, I think, think there are different levels of it. I think the pre-drinking is, is the place to start there. <laughs> so like when, I suppose when we got to... Well... I didn't really drink since I got to college, so that was that's when you didn't really yeah. at all. <clears throat> we still came to the pre-drinks, because that's where all the crack was. Oh yeah, three liter bottles of vodka. Yep. Uh, so basically, when you were in college, you generally would, you know, meet up at someone's house or apartment, and you'd, you'd have a few, get a few cans, or the girls have maybe wine, generally, or a bit of vodka. Now who's sexist, <laughs> Rob, eh? Hey, look at you, big sexist bastard. Mm. <laughs> um... People of any gender, <laughs> or, or wine, or whatever they want to drink. I don't care. If you want to get tanked on something, you can be whatever you want. And, you know, we, we'd, you'd have a bit of crack. you kind of get ready for town because, firstly, if you're going to like a nightclub or place like that, they generally don't open until about 10 o'clock. Yeah. And if... Um, 
closing time is generally about two half two in most places. There are exceptions to that. Places that have like late licenses, like Copperface Jacks, famously in Dublin, you can be there till about half five in the morning. I've done that once. Um, my God, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah. But so you're you're basically trying to cram as much drinking as you can. Then once you get to the nightclub, yeah, to save yourself about some money. Four hours, and it's it's because it's expensive. You know, you're paying like five or a shot, and then like even if you get like yeah, vodka, five or vodka, for a pint is yeah, and like, right. a, like a vodka, and, like a little bit of a dash with a load of ice in it is a fiver so you know you're kind of getting your your value for the night by getting your cheap cans and your cheap yeah, booze you're kind of aiming for just below drunk drunk enough to get in yeah yeah basically and then once you're inside like one more will tip you over the edge yeah um so so that's it but it's it's a bit of crack like because you can put on whatever music you want doing it you can play a bunch of games like uh we there's a bunch of ones we used to play yeah i think the obvious one would be kings kings which we might uh expand on in another episode i think would be a bit long-winded to go into it is yeah there's plenty like i mean i think the one we we used to famously do was uh, doing a power hour we used to get a a shot of beer every minute for an hour and we had like playlists where you have 60 songs that would change every minute so you'd know when to take and that used to be one of our things and it was that was good crack but it, it's really kind of a social thing and it, it, it's not in a way dissimilar to going to like a, an Irish pub when you're not getting locked really just yeah. having a meeting up with a few mates for a few drinks having a telling a few stories having a bit of crack and I, I, it, it's just enjoyable in that sense but you're doing that before you're going to the mic on the cheap on the cheap, absolutely. Um, there's sometimes an after sesh there as well when you're yeah, out there and have to it depends, get your takeaway yeah. and you pop off forever. Well you're jumping ahead Rob now No, so. no Get the taxi into town then to wherever you're going. It's probably some form of nightclub. Or the Lush Bus. Oh, of course, the it, Lush Bus. It, the it, it worst was, thing to ever... Because we, we both went to UL, the University of Limerick. We actually had, you, you know, you'd, it'd be like a 30-minute walk or so into town. At least, yeah. At least that. So you'd, you'd try and either get a taxi or you'd try and get on the bus. So it was one of the last buses that would go from the university into the city centre. It used to be called the Lush Bus on a student night because yeah. it would I just be... I think they cancelled it after a while because... I think they did, it, yeah. It was such a mess. It was like you, you can you could have you, 40, 50, you could have the entire bus packed with drunk people, and then there'd be like one granny or some something one coming home. Poor researcher coming home to sitting down the back, and everyone would be putting on cans and playing music and singing, and you'd, be, you'd make friends on it. Like, you kind of, yeah, but, but it was a mess. It was messy, and the poor drivers at the end, I was being like, this, you know, cleaning slop, everything slopping up, yeah. it out, but it was, it was an experience. If you've been sure. on a lush bus, you'll never forget. It. Yeah. <laughs> So you get into town, hopefully you get past the bouncers into whatever nightclub or late bar you want to go to. Aye. Um, and then, then, as we said, you get charged through the nose. Some of them actually charge you to get in and then charge yeah. you through the nose and then charge you for uh, code check and shit as well, which is ludicrous. It depends really where you go. I think it, it's... Um... I think, well, it's, when it's a cover charge and a cloakroom charge and everything when you're yeah. for drinks, we, we, we went to places like that like when we were in the first year. Yeah, and avoided year. them like the fucking. Yeah, we kind of we kind of found a spot then that we preferred, which was more of an alternate kind of place. Um, anyone from Limerick will know exactly where we're yeah. talking about. The real and we won't shout them out until they pay us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so so that's that's kind of it. I think your your taste certainly change when it went through college. We started going to pubs more because like we had four pubs on campus. Yeah. Like, like just like all the Americans. Four pubs and not a single place to buy cans. But that was, it was, yeah, you know, it, was then, it was interesting because like I mean, you remember we used to have like society meetings on a Thursday, which was one of the student nights in towns. Like in the student nights, they'd be like, "Oh, we're down to 18s from 23s age admissions," and then there was um, you'd have certain drinks offers on or what what have you, and um, then you might get the shift or the ride. Yeah, we're not talking about that, Stu. No, we're not talking about it. It's <laughs> yeah. just a thing that happened on the night out. That's the whole point of this. Yeah, you're trying out. trying to find. Yeah. Um, then the lights would come up, and then and yeah. then you'd just walk out of there, get the shittiest takeaway from wherever kebab box or whatever, and uh, eat probably half of it. Maybe get sick into a taxi <laughs> and wake up in the morning with no idea what you did the night before, or, or try and drag time. yourself to a lecture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's uh, pretty much that's the gist of it. It's it's more fun than it sounds. Uh, I, th- I think now we're we're definitely more in a. Um, Go for a few quiet pints in a pub thing. We're not old. Yeah. But we're old enough where our bodies can't really take the college drinking anymore. I don't think I could do... I don't think I could do the full pre-drinks and then, like, going to one or two places and then, like, going to a nightclub. I really don't think I could do it. I think, like, what we do now is we normally go to a pub for, like, the evening. Yeah. And um, then, like, have a couple and then go to, like, a late bar. 
and you know have a bit of crack but we're not going nuts do a bit of dancing right so then on to the movie which this week is dancing at lunasa which is the story of is it five sisters Mm -hmm. and uh one of them has a kid and it's kind of they're trying to find their way in the world really i suppose they're stuck in a small town their brother comes back from africa he was a priest over there missions yeah and um, it's it's a very self-contained and small story. There's not a lot yeah, it, big it's, to it. Um, I, I believe it's called a, like a narrator story or something like that because the young boy is yeah. is sorry uh, is is in in the future like in his thirties telling recounting the story to someone. Um, it, it differs a bit in the movie because he's actually there as a character, which in the play, which I know I've seen this perform as a yeah, play, it's based on a play. Yeah, yeah, several quite a while back when I was in school uh, I, we didn't study this but the, the the other English class did so we were dragged along to it and the, I, if I remember correctly the boy is who is the narrator isn't strictly a character in it he kind of talks about interactions but there isn't an actor on stage playing him so yeah. it's a slightly different directorial choice here and I, I think it makes sense I suppose yeah, so the director for this was Pat O'Connor, who I hadn't really heard of. He'd done things like Sweet November and Fools, for- Fools of Fortune. Mm-hmm. One of them has uh, Charlize Theron in it. Yep. That's all I noticed. Um, we have some big stars. We do. Uh, we have Meryl Streep as Kate Mundy. I mean, I don't even need to really list yep. any of her accolades. She's been in a lot of great movies. And she was really good in this. I mean, I gotta say, like, it, it's, we'll talk about kind of how each of the actresses and actors did with their accents later on, but... I think she did, genuinely did a very good job in terms of um, her accent, but also she does come across as very much motherly in kind of a way. Yeah, and, it's very harsh though. Which, which yeah, is... but I, but oddly in a kind of correct Irish way. It, yeah, it just it seemed oh, yeah. it seemed a very genuine performance, and I think that's a fantastic thing. And it does, it didn't look like she was acting. Yeah, sure. And uh, then we had Michael Gambon as Father Jack Mundy, who we don't know. I mean, he was Dumbledore. the replacement Dumbledore after one of our great Irish actors passed. Yeah, Richard Harris. Um, and Michael Gambon is Irish, yeah. as people people seem to forget. He, he might be a knight of the, the British Empire, but he is Irish. He was born in Dublin. Is... And he has that fantastic quarter named after him in Top Gear. He does. <laughs> as Ben to say, noted um, uh, motor enthusiast Michael Gambon. But I, I think he, he does a good job here, kind of playing the slightly vacant kind of Irish priest who's gone native I suppose to, to use yeah. a, a term like that the British would have used uh, comes across very well I think I think Michael Gambon's an yeah, he, outstanding he, he plays actor. that kind of dementia Alzheimer's kind of thing very well I think it's kind of explained as that he had malaria and he's recovering okay. from it okay it's like I, I, it seemed a lot more like he was just kind of losing the plot, really. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I don't know if it was in like the director's notes or in the original play. I can't remember, but I, I was trying to see what exactly was wrong. I think it's described as he got malaria and it had, or maybe it might have been syphilis, or something, and he had like it had like an effect on his Ooh, mind. Syphilis. Uh, but I don't know. But uh, it, Catholic priest, Rob, you say. There's a lot of there's a lot of implications here. I I wouldn't be surprised if he had a, an African wife or something because we'll get into it later. Yeah. But it's yeah, I I think it's it's not really specified what it is, but it's effectively Alzheimer's. Yeah, and the only other kind of big actor of note is Catherine McCormick, who is Christina Mundy, who's the mother of the the narrator yeah. character. Was she in Angela's Ashes as well? Possibly. I, I just think looked, she's. I, I just took a quick was. look through what she was in, and it was like the Braveheart, Twenty Eight Weeks Later, and for some who was English she actually did quite a good job she did I, I, I really thought that she was in um, Angela's Ashes as well I thought she played Angela in it but I, I might be wrong or she was in the movie in some capacity anyway yeah. but I, I don't know um, also I'd like to mention as well one of the other sisters uh, played by Kathy Burke I, I think she played Rose no she wasn't she was Agnes yeah there yeah. were a lot of sisters so I didn't kind of it's a bit hard the, to keep track the of entire times. lot but I think she's about Agnes. Uh, I knew her best. She's an English actress as well, and she did a fantastic job. She was the one that was smoking the whole time. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, but I know her best from uh, Kevin and Perry Go Large, which I don't know if, if uh, Stu remembers from the 90s. Not particularly. Hello, can I have a ham sandwich, please? <laughs> but right. it's she's playing like a teenage boy in this, along with Harry Enfield. It's brilliant. And like to see her in this now, in like a serious dramatic role, doing a proper accent, which, because this came out about the same time as Kevin and Perry was big, and I think she did a fantastic job. I'm just like, I'm familiar with Kathy's work, and I, I think she did a very good job of right. it. Okay. Yeah, so, we'll get right into the spoiler-free section. Um, I don't have much in the way of notes this week, so I'm going to just kind of riff, because I enjoyed most of this movie. I know you said it was a bit long. 
which I, I get because it was a play and so they probably had to kind of flush out yeah, a little bit more. I mean, I do like the work of Brian Free. Like, I, I will get that out of the way who did written the play originally. Um, I think I don't have a fault with any of the acting in the film. I think it was all very well acted. I just thought that it, it wasn't the best adaption that could have been done to screen. I think it was good at times. It was very charming at times. It was very heartwarming at times. I like some of the dialogue quite a lot. And there's these moments in it, which we'll talk about in more detail, where it's just, where it kind of just captures this kind of small town Irish psyche very well. Oh yeah, um, it, does, it does some really good stuff. I mean, for one thing, like this is set in 1936, yeah, and it's phenomenal how it that everything in it is just so perfect to that time it is, period. It is. It, it, it's if you look at other kind of films that like we've talked about, okay, The Quiet Man isn't set strictly around this time it's set a little bit earlier but you can kind of see some of the characteristics holding over even if you look at other things that are set in this time like Angela's Ashes and other bits and bobs like that you can kind of get this whole feeling out of it and I think this hits it probably the best oh, out yeah. of all of them I think there's something negative about it I just think overall it the pacing was a little bit off and it just re I felt it really dragged at times I felt it, it just really kind of slowed down a bit too much in the wrong places there and almost that it was a bit disjointed. I know it followed the whole plot of the play fairly accurately at times, but I don't know. I, I just think that there wasn't... It's like there wasn't anything strictly I can point to that's wrong with it. Right. I just think overall it just didn't quite hit the mark for me. I don't know. I think for me it was it was great. I mean, the, the locations as well, because this was actually filmed... In Donegal, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, Ballybeg. And it looks beautiful. <coughs> All of the spots they picked to record in are fantastic. Yeah, like I'll say, Ballybeg, where this is set, in, in, isn't a real place. Uh, Brian Freely loses it as a, a place in a lot of his work, but it's just a fictional place. It, it's based on Glenty's County Donegal, where his his mother was from. Like this, this is a somewhat autobiographical play when he'd written it about his his aunties and mothers and all that. So there, there is, it, it is kind of somewhat based in truth. Um. But there isn't a place called Ballybeg, just to kind of clarify that. But it sounds very Donegal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one thing that I really did enjoy about this is the kind of the use of the wireless, that being the radio, as a kind yeah. of focal point for the house, I which think... it would have been at the time. And it just kind of keeps coming up throughout as a as a center point for the household. I think it's, I think it's, a, I, I really like that whole aspect where it, it progresses the story. Almost, it gives um, Reese Iffen's character, um, Michael's father. What's his name again? Jerry. 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 Sorry, yeah. Jerry. Um, it gives him a reason to be there because he's he's actually a he sells gramophones and radios. He's a traveling salesman. Yeah. That's why he has the motorbike. It's I don't think it's really expanded on too much in the film, but he knows how to fix it, and that gives him a reason to stay over and fix it. And it, obviously, they have the dancing bit at the end, but and like calling it like Lua after like Lunasa being the festival so they're dancing at Lunasa's dancing around the radio it's, yeah. a le- it's a lot less profound in a sense but then they do dance at Lunasa festival yeah. around the thing so I, I think we'll get into I, I think that that is quite well done in a sense and I, and I do like how that adds to the story but eh. <laughs> yeah it just it, it felt like it, it tied everything together quite nicely where hmm. The different songs that were coming on and they'd all like even if it wasn't playing they kind of started singing themselves and dancing around and it was something that they all seemed to just enjoy and love which was just a nice sentiment for the uh the, the movie as a whole yeah i, I think it, it it does kind of sum up even as the music changes at times during it because it, it's a very musical film yeah e- even when like um jerry's character is like he's a he's always a famous dancer that's how he charmed uh the mother yeah um, I'm going to mix up the sisters' names a lot during this. I'm sorry. It's just yeah, it, 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 it's 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 quite difficult. But I mean, it's I suppose in a way that's Irish. It's like who is she? Ah, she's one of the Walshes. That's Paddy Walsh's daughter. That's yeah, yeah. Walsh. <laughs> There's Mina, Mona, and Sophia. That's right, Sophia. <laughs> Which I just, just just call her Sophia. No, no, but that's is I that... actually I actually like that because that's a, that's a very country thing. They give them a fancy name and they can't pronounce it. Right? Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's like you know people put like, it that way. It's like if people like you were called uh, Josepha or Josepha, and it just depends on oh, who right. the family or things like that. Or like uh, I, I I thought that was quite funny, and it is very much a, it is very much an Irish thing in some parts of the country. I thought yeah, that was and quite then funny. Becoming like the biggest bitch in just that little scene. <laughs> in. I quite like that. I felt that's a very Irish kind of small town. Yeah, like there's going to be the gossip in there, and it's like, well, I, I'm not a. I, my wife has gone to like England, and it's like, oh, so you're 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 still married, kind of thing. It's it's just very yeah, kind yeah, of gossipy, yeah, and we'll we'll go into that especially a bit when later. you're in, you know the, the grocer in the the local shop, like yeah. 
I I think it's it was oddly I like that scene where she or um Meryl Streep's character. It, it, it gave a lot of characterization. I think yeah. we'll go into it more in a second. I think I don't have much else that could really go spoiler free. I suppose so. If you want to give a rating, or unless you have something um. Else. I'm hesitant to say a crock of shite because I, to, truth be told, I didn't enjoy this as much as I thought I would. And I think if I think I found this a bit hard to watch at times, not not in a in terms of the content of it, just in terms of I felt it was dragging quite a bit, and I genuinely found it was a bit bored at times. But when it picked up, it was very enjoyable, and it was it was very easy to watch it. I think I'm gonna have to watch this again. Right. I think I I think maybe because. I knew I had to watch this while taking notes to review it for this podcast. Normally that's fine when we're doing films here, but I think if I just watch the film to watch it, I might enjoy it more and it might grow on me. But at the same time, I think I, my, I, I could reinforce the issues I see with it. So I'm not going to really give it a solid rating. I'm just going to say it's kind of in the middle, in my view. It, it What I liked, I really liked about it, but what I, I found it just kind of dragging. And there's just no overly... Neg- I don't want to say a crock of shite because there's nothing overly negative about right. it. I just felt it's just kind of in the middle It I, I just because of that. So I'm... I'm just going to say it's a crock. <laughs> Our first empty crock, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to have to say crock and gold. I mean, I get what you're saying. Hmm. And this is definitely one of those movies where it's great to be at home and watching it. Because you can yeah. kind of pick up your phone and kind of play around for a few minutes. And then get back into it without really missing anything. Yeah. Which is pretty much what I did. But uh... <laughs> Sorry, the computer talks sometimes. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's a slower paced movie, so it is one where you can kind of play on your phone yeah, and ju- to just keep yourself occupied during the, the lulls. But overall, I did enjoy it, so it definitely cracked the gold for me. Yeah, I, so anyway. I will just say, like, I don't think it's a bad film. I just thought it was not the bit, not great. Like, this is a solid, like, I'd give it like 6 out of 10 if we were rating it in that Yeah, sense. sure, that's not bad. I don't think it's a bad film at all. I just wasn't maybe for me, but I think I might review my opinion on that. Um, once I watch it again, I think that's that's what I'll say. And he'll never get back to us. <laughs> so I feel like a catch up episode. It's all <laughs> you know? so spoilers then uh, from the top. So where do we even begin with this one? <laughs> right, it's okay. So this is somewhat autobiographical about Brian Friel's family. Um, as I kind of said earlier, there like his, his mother had a few sisters. They had a place up in Glenties, County Donegal, or Valley Vegas set. So it, it is somewhat based um, on that. Now, Brian Field seems to have had a fairly unhappy life at times because no one in this film seems to end up... Well, that's kind of the writer's curse, I think, in a lot yeah. of ways, especially for plays. It is, but it, it, it's just very... Everything ends terribly. I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll just get that out of the way now. It's just like, <laughs> it, Jesus Christ. It gets, it gets dark about the third quarter and then the end doesn't get any better. Like, when you just get the end, which obviously... Mike, Michael's character, who's the, the child in this... Um, he he's narrating it in later life, and like yeah. I think it's I think it said like in probably the, or the early sixties I think is what it says in the play. So he's about early forties, late thirties ish. I think it's kind of given yeah. as. And I mean, just just on Michael. I yeah. mean No offense to you know working with a child, but they could have put a plank of wood there with a face on it, and I wouldn't know the difference. He he doesn't really do anything. But I, as I was kind of got it earlier, I. I think that's the issue within the play, from what I can recall. Now, I didn't go out and reread the play for this. Right. I mean, we're, there's only a certain amount of effort. <laughs> Which you, is if, not much. If you want proper like, critical analysis <laughs> of Irish literature, this isn't the right place to do it. We both work full time and we, we don't have time to, you know, <laughs> have time to read a thesis on this. But um, I think in the play, it was that he wasn't really a main character. He was just kind of there recounting the story. He was really more of a narrator. So I think inserting his character into the film, while it makes more sense in this kind of a medium where... Yeah, but weird if he was missing. Yeah, but I I think it it, it makes sense that you'd have to put him in there as a character in in this film. It's probably one of those things where they call to him, then walk off screen. Yeah, but I, I think it's... There wasn't enough character development here. I don't think it's the actor's fault. I think you did a oh, perfectly grand it's, job it's there. Just, they didn't give him a lot, and so with that, you kind of just get plank of wood with it. I just feel that it. there's like because you get the fact that he doesn't really have any friends his own age. Like he's just more friendly with his his mother's his aunties basically. And his kite. And his kite. Yeah, or his little spinny thing that he gets. Oh yeah, the I, used to, I used to have one of them. <laughs> um, and because his his auntie. Uh, Meryl Streep's character is the schoolmistress, the gander, who's very unpopular. 
because she's quite strict. Yeah. That's kind of why, and he kind of hints that oh, the the bigger boys call you the gander, and that's why you're you're kind of not liked, and maybe they they don't hang out with him because of. Well, firstly, he's illegitimate, which we'll, we'll kind of talk. Oh about yeah, that. I mean, that's... We'll, we'll talk about that in a second because there's quite a lot of societal impact on that in Ireland. Yeah, especially at nineteen thirty six in rural Donegal. Like anyway, um, but you know, and I, so I get the fact he's kind of isolated and really the only time he's happy is like with with his more kind of entertaining aunties and also when his father comes over and like he's on the motorbike he yeah. seems to be in good form then but I just feel that there is no real nothing done really with his character at all I get the focal point of the film isn't really about him although he's the narrator it's more about his family but it, it, it just seemed weird yeah it's like he's not the main character and I get that but it's it's just that there's nothing really done with him. It's just redundant to have him there. I understand in the play that might be the point, but I just didn't feel this was done well at all. Yeah. Um, then again, Meryl Streep in this was just fantastic. I mean, her oh, accent was brilliant. spot on. Partly the reason I picked this was because I know that she's a mimic. She does accents yeah. incredibly well in everything that she does, and I wanted to see what she could do with an Irish accent, and she did it fantastically. I've seen her. She did this other Irish film a couple of years back, Albert something, where she's playing like it was the, the apparently a true story, but she's like playing this fella, an Irish fella back in the day who was actually like born female. Oh right, and it was I suppose I don't I don't know if he ever described himself as transgender at the time but there probably wasn't a word back then. yeah I, I think I think it was just but he was living as a man he certainly identified as such and like the secret gets out but Meryl Streep is playing this character and you know I, I thought that she did a very good job like kind of doing a more masculine kind of ed- educated Dublin accent as you would have said at the oh, time right. and obviously like as credit avail she's you know just takes over the whole screen so yeah. I mean I think I think like in terms of she did a fantastic job with the accent and has a great acting ability for doing these kind of different accents different characters so absolutely she did a fantastic job in this film yeah and like she really plays the part well of that kind of overly stressed and strict Irish person and obviously she's one of the sisters but she really takes on the mother role yeah I think she's the eldest that's still there and she very much like some of her sisters like Rosie's character I think Rosie she's yeah, some of them are very she, she's I think I think it's like implied that she's got like an intellectual disability or something like that so possibly yeah. I, I I think it's discussed in the play or the, the script notes but she seems to not be entirely there and that's kind of one of the things she's protective about her going off with uh, Danny Bradley right because she feels obviously he's he's married but she feels like he might be taking advantage of her because she's not able to fully yeah. comprehend certain things and that's one of the dark scenes that we'll talk about in a few yeah minutes. and so I can kind of get that and like she sees her other she sees her brother as being respectful that he's a priest but when he yeah. comes back she's like oh he's not the, the full the full sandwich not even that I mean the, the idea of him coming back and not really being a Catholic anymore yeah I, I think like I, hate, I don't want to use the term like gone native in kind of a derogatory sense it's just what they would have said at the time like oh he went native you kind of embraced the culture too much and he's whether that's because of oh, the, he was the son out there kind of hurt his brain which is like something my nana has said like okay if don't send out in the sun too long in India or whatever and, yeah, well, you know, you'll, clearly that your brain you know, will he, go. he was there for an indeterminate number of years I mean the this, photo of him was they say in, 25 years oh, right. uh, but so that would that would take him back to 1915 I think sure. or sorry 1911 my apologies but because he, he said he was a chaplain in the British army during the great war and it oh, seems yeah, like yeah, it yeah. seems like he, he served in that and then was kind of sent to Africa then onto a leper colony in Uganda yeah but you know like it's if he enjoyed himself there and the the native people endeared themselves to him in such a way that he kind of it seems like he, he felt more at home there than he did in Bally Beg in, in a sense because like he you know, he brings back the souvenir he has the African mask his his house boy was Okawa was it did you say yeah something like that he's like an African housekeeper who seemed to be very close with who looked after him and like you know even the governor there gave him like his old hat the, this big fluffy hat which he gives to Jerry before he heads off at the end and you know he, he seemed to enjoy it in a sense it, it, it is kind of implied certainly when the other priest father Carolyn whatever his name was you know, he seems to look down and his brother's like, oh, I won't have him say mass or anything because I think he knows yeah, he's Yeah, once of... he noticed the mask and the hat, he was kind of like, there's something off here. Yeah. I'm sure he probably got a letter from whoever over there sent it's it back. It's kind of implied, I think, that 
he, the, the church kind of sent him back because they realize he's he's kind of becoming an embarrassment. He's, yeah, he's kind of not being a good Catholic anymore. I, I, I don't know if it maybe I was reading too much into this, particularly when he's talking like love because he reacts like to when he's told whose son is Michael's and then he, I think is Michael's mother Agnes going to get the sister's names wrong I'm sorry but his mother anyway is like oh he's mine and he's like oh and there's no husband they're unmarried and he reacts with quite yeah not the way kind of lays it there being like yeah "Ah, that's fine there's plenty of people back in Africa with love childs as well yeah and it's like in real life he would have went on a tear and probably battered her really I don't know like you know I know what you mean at that time I think like we I mean we we were going to have to kind of address this elephant in the room at some point but unmarried mothers in Ireland at that time were not looked upon favorably it basically wasn't done and we have to confront a very dark part of Ireland's past in this and it's that while I, I fully guess that it's nice in this film that you know you mean unmarried mother and looked after with your unmarried sisters and all that. At the time, like now, we were still nominally under British rule at this time. We hadn't become, we hadn't had our uh, constitution through yet, but it was about that time. Um, but the Catholic Church was very much in control of the country. And de Valera was in charge with his party as, you know, the prime minister. And he was very happy to work with Archbishop Charles McQuaid in Dublin to put through a lot of these very conservative Catholic things. And it's pretty much if you were an unmarried mother, well, your child was getting taken off you um, by the church. It was probably going to get adopted somewhere in America, maybe, or somewhere in Ireland. And the mother was probably just going to be sent off to a convent, basically. Uh, to become a nun or the Magdalene Laundry, which is, um, yeah, something where church basically ran laundries in convents for women that caused trouble in effect. So basically unmarried women or women who spoke yeah, I up. Think and this one kind of warrants a, a much it, it is, but I, I think there's, there's a lot. We, we won't, we, we won't go into it, but I, I think just suffice to say that I think in a historical accurate sense, and I get that this isn't well, I mean, this is slightly idealized. You have but to assume that, that there's no way a true story. Then, well, there's no way that he he this would be allowed to happen in Ireland. I'll just be brutally honest and say it. I I think that as soon as he was found to be pregnant and went to the hospital, the doctor was called for. So I thought, it's out in Rory Donegal. Maybe there wasn't a hospital nearby. I mean, and no the priest heard no. about it. Like Jesus, they're you know they, she'd be being they'd be like the priest would come up and just told like the. Meryl Streep's character that like either send her down to the laundry or you know we're going to be asking questions about the lot of you I mean I suppose <laughs> just trying to apologise for the movie he never to my knowledge really leaves the, the house much yeah well he, he it's implied he goes to school right because well, he, he has knowledge of people calling his, uh, his aunt oh, yeah, Gander yeah, so no, I, I think and he certainly goes he's certainly known around the town but I, I think that it's I suppose maybe at the time it might have been because of their uncles being a priest they might have been able to have a bit of leeway you know obviously people in power kind of giving the nod to other people in power it, it, I, I suppose in a sense, but particularly because his, like, Mercy's character is a, a teacher, and yeah. then she, she gets sacked, basically, and it, it's kind of, I think you get the thing with the other priests, like, it's because of her brother came back, and it's kind of a bit of a disgrace, well, I think he just doesn't like her oh, yeah, living, living living choices, basically, because they don't conform, even though she does appear to yeah, be Yeah, well, most... I mean, it's pretty much like four spinsters and a woman with a kid. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, but she seems to be the only one that is actually a practicing Catholic in the house. Now, I mean, I'm sure they're all religious, but... No, I mean, you later know, on, you get that really good scene which was uh something that brought back a bit flashbacks to my own grandmother's house with the little uh the little holy water jug yeah, by the, yeah. just just hanging on the wall just That's a tiny right. little amount of it just for dipping when you're leaving the house and it's like that is so much of an my, irish my thing would have that as well obviously not now because of covid but yeah um but I, I i think that is something like we probably should talk about that in a separate episode yeah like i don't know when if we're ever going to do the film the magdalene sisters but um Maybe a bit later on down the line. Yeah, like like with a lot of content warnings before yeah. that, it's like this film is dark. <laughs> but there's, um, I suppose, to summarize that we'll we'll summarize that rather. We'll we'll just say that um, being an unmarried mother in Ireland at the time, it was not something that was tolerated by particularly the Catholic Church, but also to a certain extent, a lot of aspects of society. And going on from that uh, to like Danny Bradley's the kind of character you know it was kind of after i think rosie the one that yeah. may have an intellectual disability it's certainly implied I, I that also wouldn't be acceptable if the wife left you and you're going off with someone else like that's not really 
you know, yeah, that, I, also a done thing. That's the part that got really rough, where he his wife ran off to England, and so... We, and it's not he really implied Rosie. why. Yeah. He, he fancies Rosie then, and so he wants to take her up to this lake, go out in a boat, and so the rest of the sisters are like, no way in hell, you're not doing this. Yeah. Of course, she sneaks off anyway and does it, and on the boat, like, it's all pleasant and nice, and then he kind of starts, he's standing up on the boat, and it starts getting dark, and, like, he starts rocking from side to side. And she's very distressed. And it's, it's yeah. just, like, out of nowhere, and I don't know how they must have done that in the, the play now. I don't, but... yeah, but I, he also says as well that I came out here after my wife left me, he goes, why, she goes, oh, because I was going to kill myself. Like, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's quite. It a, gets super dark. It's quite an uncomfortable scene because you can see, like, the, I can't really the actress that plays her, but she's clearly very distressed. Yeah, and it, it's actually very uncomfortable to watch. And then he takes her up to the the, the Lunasa Hills, yeah. festival, which is like pagans, quote unquote, and jumping just, around the and fires. I, and I, I find it interesting though that Father Jack the. The priest character. And I assume like they knew what they were doing, calling him Father Jack, because this was the same time as Father Ted. This came oh, out. Right. This came out at the same time as Father Ted finished. So maybe that was a little nod and a wink. But he's. Called, I'm sure he, it's probably in the book. He is called it? Jack in the play. He yeah. is called Jack in the play, uh, which predated Father Ted slightly. But um, but yeah, it was just I, I, I like how he, he is like he just wanders in. But it's just the kind of thing that he ends up being the one that saves her, and as he meets uh, Jerry on the way in the motorbike, and he brings it back. But it's just like he's there having a great time. But I think, like, some part of him was just, like, I want to leave. He's like, all right, I'll take you on then. Yeah. Just, like, I think some, some kind of... Um, brotherly... Brotherly kind connection. of thing. Because I think he's he's a bit out of it. But at the same time, if his sister says something, he's like, I'll look after you. Yeah. Which and is sweet. It was Probably sweet. A few bit. Um, but it's a... Yeah. There's, there's some interesting things in this film, which I think... I think the main thing we can say is it takes a lot of directions. Yeah. Like, I'm sure depending on how much of this was actually taken from uh, Friel's actual life and how much was made up after the fact. But it's like you have the uncle coming back from Africa. You have... There's a factory that's opening up, so... Two of the sisters do a lot of knitting gloves and stuff. And they sell and it on for a, bit, a few quid, basically. Yeah, and that's, that's going to be closed. Or they won't be able to do that anymore because of the factory. Meryl Streep's character is, is getting sacked. Uh, the the father is coming back, but he's actually going off to fight Franco in in Spain. We'll talk about that in a sec, actually. I have some points on that. Yeah, but, but... it's just like there, it's just, there's so many directions. I, I think overall it's from what I bits of reviews I've read about this and stuff it for the play itself the whole direction of it it's that it kind of ends in negativity which it does it does and it, nothing works out for anyone they all like die in poverty or there's there's actually more in the play that isn't talked about in the film like Jerry the, the Michael's father and it's revealed like in the end of it, in the things that and Michael is narrating it much later that it's like my half brother in in South Wales contacted me because Jerry has an entire wife oh. and second family over there and lovely he it's also kind of implied that he has another something else over in Spain like a a, a, sure, a, a yeah. senorita or something and you know he never he only feigned pretending to want to marry Michael's mother because he knew he couldn't yeah and all all bits like that but it's um it's yeah it's not a it's not a positive kind of a film there um, yeah and then two of the sisters the ones who made the do, do the knitting they run off to london they together run off to london die in poverty did it say they were shadow women? I think he said. Or what? Shadows? What did? What in the play? What happens is he, he basically or he found out later that they both basically died in poverty in the streets of London. I think he's just saying they were just shadows on the street, like they just died as homeless. Oh right, no, I thought it was some kind of like prostitution thing. I don't. But that might have just been you I know like ladies of the night. I don't know if but that's that what was. Maybe that's what was reading. Maybe that's what was implied. I, I I think in the play they they said that they both kind of die in just um, tenement housing, basically. So I I don't know. Maybe there was a prostitution thing about it. I yeah. I don't know. Perhaps that's implied. I don't. I'm not really certain. But I I didn't read that myself anyway. Yeah, it's hard to say. There, there's something I'd, I'd like to briefly kind of touch on is the uh, Jerry gone off to fight in Spain. Right. Yeah. Um, firstly, Jerry's played by Reese Iffins, I forgot to say, who's a very good actor. Um, one of my father's favourite films is She Loves You, Grant, so it's Notting Hill, and I love okay. it. He, he plays one of the characters in it, and there's a great bit in the film where there's all the photographers are outside uh, himself and you, Grant's house, and like, you know, because they're waiting for you to come out because he's gone out with the movie star. And like it's just like him getting the milk in his underwear, and, <laughs> and it's just like instead of embarrassing, like, he's just there doing all the, the poses. You know, <laughs> I love that. I, I I always thought he was great. Um, 
in uh in, in Villas Gaza that he's he's just very funny. He also did vocals on a song by my favourite band Mogwai, I believe, in Welsh. Cool. So there you go. Um he is he is actually Welsh in this. The, his character was Welsh in the play too, so I think that's why he was cast. Because at one point I was like, this is either a very bad Irish accent or he's not Irish. <laughs> yeah. Like li- literally literally my notes are Jerry, accent question mark, scouse question mark. Oh he's Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. That that's all of the levels that you need for that. Um, but he, he you know, so he, he says he's going off to fight in uh, Spain in the International Brigade against Franco, and it's kind of expanded on a bit. Meryl Streep's character is against it because they're fighting against the Catholic Church, and even though Franco was a brutal dictator, right? Yeah, it, you see, I, I think it's just worth talking about a little bit because there was an impact in this in Ireland, and there was the. The twenty fifth International Brigade, the Viva La Quinta Brigada, is a folk song by Christy Moore, which is quite popular. Um, without getting into it too much, uh, what the Spanish Civil War was was that there was a monarchy in Spain, a Catholic monarchy, for many, many years, and uh, back fell. Uh, public was declared. It was somewhat socialist, somewhat left leaning, in about nineteen thirty one, and the monarchists kind of got together with conservative Catholics and some of the army, like Franco, for example, and were like, we'd like to have a monarchy back, but also kind of be more Catholic because you're allowing like religious freedom and things like that. And we're, we also think that you're communist and that's against what, you know, the Catholic Church has said. And they were also backed by the the Nazis and Mussolini. <laughs> and they used that as a testing ground for their weapons for World War II. And the socialists were... There isn't really a... The Republicans, they were kind of socialist, anarchist, communist. They were a bit of everything. Um, were against the nationalists led by eventually uh, Francisco Franco, who was a general. So it was kind of a battleground... It was kind of a battleground, really, to lead into World War Two, because although Spain was neutral during that, and the Nationals under Franco did win the war, mm, yeah, so it was like the cause at the time. Um, a lot of people, including George Orwell, actually did uh, go over there and fight for the Republicans right. as socialists. A lot of his things in 1984 were actually based on that. And some of his other work, so I read of that. So even though he was a terrible polygamist, <laughs> he did one good thing, and that was fighting Franco. <clears throat> yeah, and it's it, it had an interesting impact in Irish society because, like, you hear from Meryl Streep's character, she's like, "Oh, you're fighting against the Pope," said that, yeah. that, and it's it's kind of romanticized. There was like an Irish brigade in in the it was in the International Brigade. There was an Irish kind of bit of it. Um, a lot of people that did fight in our War of Independence. Um, and in the anti-treaty IRA against the government in the Civil War went over and fought with them um, because we were only like less than 15 years out of um, fighting against the British ourselves so there was a, kind of a connection between fighting imperialism to a certain sense fighting against a crown specifically being kind of more left wing kind of a revolution as well but the establishment was very much pro Franco in a sense because it was Catholic and famously the, the blue shirts who were um a story for a separate day yeah but they were a sort of a paramilitary proto-fascisty kind of organization um who were associated with one of the main political parties in ireland at the time did go over and fight for franco and that and the bishop famously came to galway and blessed them on the boat when they went off so there was kind of a divide in irish society between who what side you were supporting in that and it very much puts the kind of ideals of freedom and equality of people that we fought against the british for versus our ingrained Catholicism in a sense. So I, I think it's an interesting narrative that goes into the film and it kind of shows, pits the church against this family in another way. Yeah, I mean, and I, 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 I think that it, it does kind of there. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting and it, it's worth kind of just discussing because it did have quite an impact in certain parts of Irish society at the time. Yeah, and especially it, considering it did, now yeah. Ireland is a lot less religious, I would say, hmm. than it used to be. Oh, I think so. I think it's it's Catholic Ireland is certainly not dead, but definitely dying. Uh, for good or ill, we will not say on this podcast, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that was an interesting choice anyway, because it, it gets at some... I think what this movie and play did do was kind of discuss about Irish society's attitudes at the time, particularly towards... A lot, I think... Yeah, one of the best ones was just the Irish capacity to ignore a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think Meryl Streep's character is is the highlight or the focus for that. Where just things are happening, she's like, "No, no, we'll be fine. No, no, it's all gonna be fine. Nothing's gonna be wrong here." Yeah, and it's um, I, I suppose in a sense that is very Irish, isn't it? It's just that 
kind of hoping everything will be fine but even you know some, oh Jack you, you go into your bed there and we'll just do all the work yeah there, there, there's a certain you know I don't want to make like a big feminist take on this but it, it, it is something like that you know Michael and Jack are kind of off having a bit of crack listening to the radio at one point and the women are literally doing taking in the turf they're taking in the, the spuds by the looks of things and like painting the house and doing all the work <laughs> It's just there in bed. I think there is an interesting narrative about that, about the um, the patriarchal structures of Irish society. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to reinforce with like the priest at the end kind of really speaking down to Meryl Streep's character. Because he's like, clearly, I'm way above you. Not just because I'm a priest, but also because I'm a man. Yeah, you do get a lot of that in Irish history, which... Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I, I think Meryl Streep's character is a is a very strong female lead. And I think she comes across as more than capable of being able to have a conversation with anyone at, at yeah, their equal sense. T- we, we never really went back to the, the one scene in the shop. Yeah. But you get across so much in that one little moment where you see Sophia's reaction to her coming on the way in. Then inside you see that she clearly fancies your man, the, the, the shopkeeper. Yeah. And then you find out more about Bradley, the creeper. Yeah, all in that very self-contained little I, and moment, I th- and I think that's one of the, the the real highlights of the film is just that it's when it gets things right, it's brilliant, oh, yeah. and that little like you get more exposition, more information about the characters, more development of the story in that like. Even when she's outside talking with um, the other lady who, who like gives her the wool, yeah, and and, they, and she tells her about the, the factory opening in Donegal Town, like that whole five minutes is just very very well done. It, it's it's wonderfully shot. It's it's all lovely kind of flow to it, and it it even gets a bit where like Sophia is just like, oh, there's a gander, stupid bitch, you know, and then coming in, yeah, it it, it, it sort of says something like that whole small Irish town kind of thing where you have like the local gossip and everyone's you you, you won't make an embarrassment in front of the neighbours but you'll certainly speak about them behind their backs oh yeah definitely that's exactly how it is in uh, Ireland even today <laughs> absolutely it is um, one other thing I'll, I'll, I'll just briefly kind of mention um, is that there's the great scene where she's Meryl's character's coming back from town on a bike and she stops and we see all the men cutting turf just to kind of throw back I know we described cutting turf in a previous episode but there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you see it uh, sitting outside. The the kid is climbing on top of it, letting it out to dry. Yeah, uh, before the winter. Um, yeah, so I thought, I thought that's very much the countryside. And I was kind of annoyed because I think this was like most of the plot takes place on like the 20th of August and we're like five days off from when we're actually recording it. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> we were we so close. Like, I'll do it for Lunasa because it's in August. Um, I suppose as well, just we'll talk maybe about the Lunasa Festival thing at the end or do you want to? Yeah, we can. I mean, I wouldn't really know if that's a thing that still happens. I haven't really heard of it. I mean, I know we have like bonfire night and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, which comes from that, but that's, yeah. that's later on. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I've never I, seen or heard anything about it. I probably should have looked it up, but that seems like there's more effort than we could there's in. like a further narrative thing, and that I read is like, oh, the the back, it's up in the back hills of Donegal, where right. it's kind of implied that these are still pagans and waitress. Yeah, and it's like there's like secret pagans still living up there, and it's tolerated that they can marry like multiple times and all that and whatever. Very hey, hey, very kind of anti-Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bad. Bad for them. Yeah. Um, so I think there, there's a lot more narrative there, I suppose, about they're literally the only ones that are outside of the societal norms at the time, but right. they seem to be kind of getting away with it. And this is their ultimate kind of unloading by doing an unchristian festival in like rural Ireland away yeah, from the flying eyes. Fires. I don't get that at all. Is that a thing? Because I, I well, like I know, the, like you see with Father Jack, where he kind of recognizes it. And I know that in the African society, they do do at, that. At, at, yeah. least, at least from what we've seen on television. I mean, I can't say I've never been there to we're, to see an actual. We're not anthropologists or sociologists. Yeah, but, I think it's worth saying from all of the media that we've ever seen out of like tribal stuff from Africa, they do that kind of jumping over fire stuff. I, yeah, I, I kind of thought that was kind of a callback thing to your like. You're, you're home to your tribe in a sense that we're still a tribe yeah, of people I mean, and there's kind of a common link between our pagan I thought beliefs I had, and I that. had the thought that maybe he might have been there before he left for Africa to the Lunasa Festival. Yeah. And then obviously went over there and then saw it and was like, oh, this is like home. And then obviously coming back then, like, oh, it is like home. Yeah, because I, I think it's it's... The impression I certainly get is that he didn't really want to be a priest. It was just more like... Well, Meryl Streep kind of says it. It's just like, well, it's a great honour to have a... Um, 
a son in the priesthood. And it's even to, to quote Father Ted, it's just like, uh, isn't that just the way everything is? The favorite son goes off to become a doctor and the other brothers are sent off to become a priest. Your brother's a doctor, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how it was back in the day. You made the money for one. Um, and just finally then, Nice to see rugby in an Irish film. Well, they mentioned it. They mentioned. Well, they, they play a little bit. Of, uh, well, if he was using uh, football, yes. And what the, more can you do? Now it's debatable, of course, if the Welsh did invent rugby. There is an implication that it was invented in Ireland, but we'll, as we'll of talk. course we would agree with. We would screw anyone who says differently. Ireland, like, like if you want a good rugby match, it's always Ireland and Wales, <laughs> <laughs> or Ireland and anyone else, pretty much. So uh, I think I have one bit of trivia here, mm-hmm. and that's the song that plays a lot of the times the Holmes of Donegal was written in 1955. Oh, okay. that's fair enough. <laughs> Just to ruin the whole movie. Yeah, I, I didn't really check if like those buses or cars or bikes were like accurate for the time. No, it just but... it came up. That... Yeah. The song definitely was. So next week, I think to kind of celebrate our 10th episode, we might do something a bit more upbeat. We might do Father Ted. I'm not sure whether we'll do like the first season or the first episode or two, because there's a lot there. We've kind of talked about this before. As I was kind of suggesting, we do two ep- like the two best episodes. The kind of two most prominent ones, well, I think in a sense. The, like These are all fantastic episodes. Yeah. So I think over the course of the podcast, when we're going for thousands and thousands of episodes... We have the time to go through all of them anyway. So I, I think, think maybe the first two give us an introduction. Yeah, we'll, I think we'll do the first two then, and we'll we might we're we're open to doing a kind of Father Ted analysis. There's there's I will I will shout out. There's a great YouTuber at the moment. It's like an American guy who's watching Father Ted for the first nice. time to get his live reactions and. I, I can't remember the chap's name, but I've only seen like two episodes, but it's really funny. And like he gets a lot of the jokes and he just seems to love the characters. And that's oh, just brilliant. As but, you'd hope. I mean, it's a classic, yeah. really a big part of Irish culture. I suppose if you want to watch it, I think 4OD, it's Channel 4. So. Yeah, they used to be up on their YouTube channel, um, but I think that's only to people living in the UK. Yeah, but if you have some kind of VPN or something... You could obviously do it that way. Yeah, of course. But of course we don't encourage people to not. pirate material. That would be wrong. And, uh, uh, too. and we're not saying any particular VPN because we have no sponsorship. But, you know, it is what it is. Hint, hint, nor. <laughs> <coughs> nor, Express, what are the other ones? <laughs> this Which podcast are... today is brought to you by Raid Shadow Light. <laughs> one of these days, one of these days. So uh, play us out, Rob. Uh, thanks very much uh, we, pre- we appreciate all your feedback guys as we, we said we do read all of this I I think the um, the quiet man did go up on Reddit didn't it she put up a post about that yeah it didn't get a lot of traction but what can you do I know that's fine but uh, we're happy with that um, by all means uh, tell a friend about this podcast is tell as many thing. friends as you like doesn't have to be just one uh, let's not go nuts tell, tell your enemies too I tell mean, your if you didn't like this episode tell your enemies and then they'll watch it and then everyone's no, no, no. happy tell them you didn't like it and then they'll have to like it out of spite to you exactly there you go so uh, tell tell everyone you can about it and whatever uh, app that they use we're on Spotify and we're on iTunes iTunes and Acast yeah their course. website we're uh, there too Podcast Addicts and a few others so you, you'll definitely find us anyway so you can reach us at Twitter at BlarneyPod at BlarneyPod and email us at TalkingBlarneyPod at gmail.com as well and uh, yeah we'll, yeah, we'll read look, all feedback uh, if you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows that we can do other things that we might be able to do if you have any questions for us yeah. or things that you want us to do in Uniquely Irish or even if you have any suggestions for just anything we could do really uh, to... we we are it's worth saying we, we have added the, the new theme song to the last one and yeah it was, we're... it was a bit long that was my bad it we're probably down to like five seconds for this episode yeah we're, we're tinkering around with that in bits and bobs so and, and we're also working on getting higher quality sound equipment we're presently sharing one microphone so that might be why things dip dip in and out at times yeah. but we're it's really hard to it. be two meters apart and talking into one microphone isn't it Rob? it sure is <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why we're wearing our masks. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, So thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate it. It's goodbye from me. (laughs) See you next week, guys.